0: No purchase necessary Boy, were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now it's time for the sports news for this Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. Your reader today is Carrie Lawless. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. First article is from the Lexington Herald-Leader, Three New Teams Added to UK Basketball Schedule by Ben Roberts. Another batch of Kentucky basketball opponents for the 2023-24 schedule emerged in recent days, with more details revealed regarding the Wildcats' annual multi-team event for the upcoming season. St. Joseph's announced its 2023-24 non-conference schedule Friday, and that slate included a game against Kentucky in Rupp Arena, scheduled for November 20th. The Hawks' schedule also included home games against Stonehill College, and Texas A&M University Commerce. All three games are part of the Wildcat Challenge, a multi-team event hosted by UK. As part of that event, the Cats will host all three of those teams. Scheduling documents obtained by the Herald leaders show that Kentucky is slated to play all three games in this year's MTE and Rupp Arena between the dates of November 10th and November 20th. The Cats also have a November 14th game scheduled against Kansas the likely preseason number one team in the country, as part of the Champions Classic in Chicago. The only other UK game with a confirmed date for the season is the November 28 matchup with Miami in Rupp Arena, as part of the inaugural ACC-SEC Challenge. Kentucky will also play Gonzaga in Rupp, travel to Louisville for its annual rivalry game with the Cardinals, and play either North Carolina, Ohio State, or UCLA. In the CBS Sports Classic on December 16th, in addition to the 18-game Southeastern Conference schedule and a few other home games that have not yet been announced. Next from the Herald-Leader, Kentucky basketball fans should worry about five obstacles, a commentary by Mark Storey. As a narrative-flipping exercise, John Calipari's trip to Toronto went splendidly. Prior to Kentucky's July appearance in the 2023 Global Jam, Rehashing the relative U.K. men's hoops failings of the recent past, not to mention worry over a slow developing roster construction for the coming season, dominated the conversation around the Wildcats program. Yet, after U.K. and its freshman-centric team uncourt four games of pleasing up-tempo basketball while winning the gold medal in the four-team under-23 international tournament, excitement about the Wildcats' immediate future has crowded out the prior ire. Tremendous experience, Kalapari said in Toronto after winning the Global Jam Gold. First of all, I got 10 days to practice a young team. Then we played against older players, 22, 23-year-olds. Let them get physical with us, then use our speed and space and shooting to negate some of the issues we have. With many Kentucky backers now again hopeful of a return to hoops' glory, for the Wildcats in 2023-24, here are five areas that merit worry. Worry 1. Injuries to Big Men About the only thing that went wrong for Kentucky and Canada was the left ankle injury suffered by 6'11", 225-pound sophomore Ugano Onienzo in a scrimmage before the actual global jam. Turney tipped off. Subsequently, Calipari reported that Onyenso had undergone a successful minor surgical procedure and would be sidelined for a couple of months. Oñenzo's injury followed the news that seven-foot freshman Aaron Bradshaw had undergone surgery to repair an injured foot. As of early July, Calipari refused to put a timetable on Bradshaw's return. Though foot-slash-ankle injuries to big men can prove problematic, there is no reason to think that Oñenzo and Bradshaw will not be able to play for Kentucky in 2023-24. However, the development time for the two young big men in the run-up to the season is being compressed. The uncertainty around Oñenzo and Bradshaw may explain Kentucky's apparent recruiting interest in 7'2", 220-pound Croatian Zvonimir Ivicic. Worry 2. Rim Protection As much fun as it is watching Kentucky deploy small ball in Canada and play five out with offensively skilled forward Trey Mitchell manning the center spot, Calipari has his reasons for wanting more traditional post options available. My best teams have blocked shots. My worst teams have not blocked shots, the UK coach said in July. UK's 38-1 team in 2014-15 blocked 253 shots. In 2011-12, NCAA title team blocked 344 shots. A season ago, while playing no one taller than 6 foot 9 on a regular basis, Kentucky blocked only 125 shots and finished 22 and 12. You need some size for rim protection, Calipari says. We didn't have that last year, and that affected us. Worry 3, defense slash offense synchronicity. In Canada, Kentucky unveiled the modern offensive approach that many Cats backers had been calling for. UK played fast, averaging 91.8 points a game. The Wildcats moved the ball, recording 103 assists on 142 made field goals. Kentucky employed a three-point heavy attack, taking an average of 29.3 trays a contest, while making 37.6% of its three-point tries. Very much to be determined, however, is whether the Cats can play that style offensively while also using a rim-protecting big on the court. Worry 4. Rebounding. Though Kentucky won the battle of the boards in two of the four Global Jam games, the Wildcats were minus 14 overall in rebounding in the event. That is not shocking, of course, as the Cats adjust to life in the post-Oscar Sheboy era. The 6 foot 9, 255 pound Chibwe was personally responsible for 952 of the 2,703 rebounds claimed by UK over the past two seasons. No matter how many bigs Calipari is ultimately able to employ in 23-24, the loss of Chibwe's rebounding prowess leaves a void. Worry 5, the maturity gap. Along with super senior returnee Antonio Reeves, Kentucky freshman D.J. Wagner, Reed Shepard, and Rob Dillingham will give Calipari one of the most talented backcourts in the country. You may look at them and say, They are small, they are skinny, Calipari says, but they can all dribble, pass, and shoot. In the Global Jam, Wagner averaged 14 points a game and had 19 assists versus 10 turnovers. Shepard led U.K. in assists 23 and tied for the team lead in steals, 7, while also averaging 8.5 points a game. However talented Kentucky's young guards may be, they will be asked to overcome vast levels of experience during some of UK's most intriguing matchups of 2023-24. Consider, projected to be number one in the country, Kansas is expected to start two super seniors and a redshirt senior on the perimeter. KU, point guard Dewan Harris, will turn 23 in December. Wing, Nicholas Timberlake, a transfer from Towson, will be 25 on August 18th, and Kevin McCullough is 22. Likely to be favored to win the SEC, Tennessee is expected to start two super seniors and a junior in its backcourt. To win at the level UK backers are again envisioning for the Cats since the Global Jam, Kentucky's kitty core guards will have to overcome some back courts stacked with grown men. Next from the Herald Leader, Lexington's annual pro tennis event underway. Several Wildcats in the field. Lexington's annual professional tennis tournament is underway at the University of Kentucky with prize money to be awarded in men's and women's singles and doubles draws. Action unfolds every day at the Hillary J. Boone Tennis Center through Sunday's championship matches. The tournament is part of the USTA's hardcourt series leading into the U.S. Open, which starts later this month in Flushing Meadows, New York. The purse for the men's single draw is $80,000, while the women play for $60,000. Single-day admission tickets cost $10, week-long passes are $50. Tickets are available at the gate or online at LexingtonChallenger.com. Matches get underway at 10 a.m. Nafisa Berberovic of Bosnia and Herzegovina is the number one seed in the 32-player women's singles draw. She entered the Lexington Challenger event as the number 325-ranked singles player in the world. Grace Min of Atlanta is the highest-seeded American in the field at number two. She's currently number 344 in the world. Veronica Miroshnishenko from Russia is the number three seed, followed by Victoria Hu, United States, at number four. Rising University of Kentucky Kentucky senior Michaela Mills was scheduled to open against number 8 seed Sarah Devettila, a former All-America player from the University of North Carolina. The 32-player men's singles draw was to be locked in Monday following the completion of the qualifying rounds, which included UK players Taha Badi and Eli Stevenson. Kentucky's J.J. Mercer and Joshua LaPadet will team up to compete in the 16-team doubles competition. Lepodet, a rising senior from Canada, is also in the men's single draw, where he was to open against number 5 seed Tennis Sandgren of the U.S. Next from the Herald leader, Hamlin puts aside fear, practices, and pads for first time since cardiac arrest. By John Warrow, AP sports writer. Of the thousands of emotions, trepidation among them, running through DeMar Hamlin's head Monday while pulling on his pads for practice for the first time at training camp, the one that ultimately won out was joy. For everything the Buffalo Bills' safety has overcome in seven months since going into cardiac arrest during the game and needing to be resuscitated on the field, Hamlin leaned on his faith in God and himself. Along with the support from his family and teammates to take another step toward resuming his playing career. This is just another milestone on the journey. Might be one of the biggest ones, Hamlin said after practice. I made the choice to play, but I'm processing a thousand emotions. I'm not afraid to say that it crosses my mind of being a little scared here and there, he added. My faith is stronger than any fear. That's what I want to preach up here, and that's the message I want to spread on to the world that as long as your faith is stronger than your fear, you can get through anything. Though Hamlin was cleared to resume practicing in mid-April, he did so wearing a helmet and shorts with his teammates through their spring sessions and first four days of training cap as mandated by NFL rules. The magnitude of the Bills' first day in pads wasn't lost on Hamlin, given it marked the first time he was in full uniform since collapsing on the field in Cincinnati on January 2nd after making what appeared to be a routine tackle of Bengals receiver T. Higgins. It's a super blessed space to be able to do what I love again, Hamlin said, just trying to keep everything as normal as possible. The normality of football struck him about an hour into practice when Hamlin took the field for the first time during a team red zone running drill in which tackling was still not allowed. On his second play, Hamlin showed no hesitation when bursting toward Damian Harris and wrapping him up with both arms. Hamlin's biggest contact came on the final play of practice when he avoided a blot to work his way into the backfield and help a teammate stop tight end Quentin Morris for what would have been a loss. That first little moment of contact, that was just letting me know, I felt alive, man. I felt like I'm here, Hamlin said with a wide grin. So it felt good. It was just that moment of, all right. Let's settle in, and let's just take one play at a time. Let's just keep going. Next from the Herald-Leader, Reds score early bullpen does rest to in win over Cubs. Joey Votto, Christian Encarnacion Strand, and Will Benson each had two hits, and an RBI and six Cincinnati relievers held the Chicago Cubs to one run over five and two-thirds innings of the Reds' 6-5 to road victory Monday night. Luke Mayall added a two-run double for the National League Central Leading Reds, who scored three times each in the second and third innings, then hung on for their ninth win in 12 games. On the mound, Buck, for- Buck Farmer, 3-4, Fernando Cruz, Alex Young, Lucas Sims, Ian Gibault, and Alexis Diaz, 32nd save, allowed only Christopher Morrill's RBI double in the eighth and struck out eight as Cincinnati won its fourth straight at Chicago. In 2023, the Reds bullpen stepped up after standout rookie Andrew Abbott allowed four runs, five hits, and three walks over a season-low three and a third innings. The left-hander, who struck out five, entered with a 1.90 earned run average through 10 major league starts. Jan Gomes had three hits with an RBI, and Dansby Swanson clubbed his 13th homer for the Cubs, who have lost two straight after winning eight in a row. Marcus Stroman allowed 6 runs, 6 hits, and 2 walks with 2 strikeouts and 3 innings. He fanned, two. The All-Star right-hander has yielded 30 earned runs, 42 hits, and 16 walks over 30 innings during his last 7 starts. Stroman retired the first 5 batters he faced, then allowed back-to-back singles to Vado and Encarn- Encarnacion Strand in the second. Benson followed with an RBI double and Nail's two-base hit plated two for a 3-0 Cincinnati lead. Swanson snapped Abbott's 17-inning scoreless streak with a second-inning drive into the left center field bleachers. In the third, Cincinnati's T.J. Friedel walked and eventually scored on a single from Jake Fraley, who then stole second, and after Spencer Steer's walk came home on Vado's hit. Steer scored via and Carnazion Strand's fielder's choice. Chicago, though, got to Abbott for three runs in its half of the third. Saya Suzuki and Ian Happ delivered consecutive sacrifice flies to make it 6-3. Gomes' RBI single got the Cubs within two. The Cubs, Javier Assad, Daniel Palencia, and Mark Leiter Jr. held Cincinnati to two hits and fanned eight over six scoreless innings to keep Chicago close. Next from the Herald leader, Churchill Downs to improve several track resources for fall meet after horse deaths. Churchill Downs will implement safety measures for its September meet, including new track surface maintenance equipment and additional monitoring and equine care following twelve horse deaths before and after the Kentucky Derby that spurred suspension of its spring meet. Racing is scheduled to resume september fourteenth and run through october first at the historic track which paused racing operations on June 7th to conduct an internal safety review following the state of horse death from racing or training injuries. Seven died in the days leading up to the 149th Derby on May 6th, including two in races preceding the premier event. The Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority recommended suspending the remainder of the meet, which moved to Ellis Park in western Kentucky. Training continued at Churchill Downs during the investigation, and a release on Monday stated that while industry experts found no issues with the racing surfaces, the track invested in new maintenance equipment. It will also double the frequency of surface testing among infrastructure upgrades. Churchill Downs, Inc. CEO Bill Karstanian said the track's commitment to safety remains paramount in the release and added, Our participants, fans, and the public can be assured that we will continue to investigate, evaluate, and improve upon every policy and protocol. The announcement comes days after Karstanian said racing would resume this fall with no changes and called the deaths a series of unfortunate circumstances in an earnings call with CDI investors. Churchill Downs veterinarians will receive additional resources for specialized horse care and to assist in pre-race inspections and entry screening, the release added. The track will work with HIFA and industry experts to predict at-risk horses through advanced analytic techniques. A safety management committee including horsemen, track employees, and veterinarians will also be created. The next article comes from the Louisville Courier-Journal. What college football has turned into, how Brahm is managing transfer-heavy U of L team ahead of 2023 season by Alexis Cubit. In Jeff Brahm's final three years as Purdue's head coach, he signed 31 players from the transfer portal. In year one at Louisville, he's pulled in 24 scholarship players from the portal. The class is ranked number one by On Three and deemed the 12th best by 247 Sports. Brahm signed 12 scholarship players in the winter and another 12 after the Cardinals spring game on April 21st. The first year transfers account for one-third of the team, which brings an added wrinkle for Brahm and his coaching staff. Not only are players learning a new coaching staff and teammates, but also a new campus and city as well. There's a big emphasis on putting the pieces together sooner rather than later, with Louisville's season opener also being its conference opener. The Cardinals begin fall camp Tuesday and start the year on the road against Georgia Tech on September 1st. There's a lot of time that these guys invest in football, and we're allowed to do some of it in meetings and in spring practice, on the field occasionally in the summer, Brown said. We have the month of May, June, July fall camp to get these guys up to speed. A lot of these transfers nowadays, they have experience. They play football, which means as much as anything. They're able to adapt to some possible new terminology for a lot of the same plays they ran before. Cardinals offensive lineman Brian Hudson admitted it's been a little difficult to remember the names of the new players. In addition to the transfers, Louisville signed 16 true freshmen. That's 40 new faces, which is almost half the team. But Hudson praised the coaching staff for its efforts to get new players acclimated and develop chemistry among personnel. He is taking an active role in the process as a leader on the team. Just this past weekend, I had the guys over to my place and we all just kind of hung out, Hudson said during 2023 ACC kickoff media days. That, along with just doing all that extra work and being in the film room together, staying after practice, staying after workouts, most of the guys, pretty much all of them, are doing that on a daily basis. We've set that standard and that's helped us be able to learn everybody and get pretty close to each other. Braun believes his new team's influx of players from the transfer portal is really probably what college football is turned into for the most part. I think every year you're probably going to see more and more on the transfer portal take place, he said. It's a situation where if the guys want to leave because they're not playing as much as they want or something's not going their way, they're gonna have the opportunity to do that. So because of that, you have to be prepared to find replacements and find people as well that can help your team. Across the nation, 1002 Division I undergraduate players and 486 graduate players entered the portal in 2021, according to data from the NCAA. In 2022, there were 1,293 Division I undergrads and 540 grad transfers in the portal. Of those, 88% successfully transferred to another Division I program. Brown notes that, dating back to his time at Western Kentucky, he's always been open to bringing in new players to help bolster his teams, while still placing an importance on high school recruits. In his final season with Purdue, he had nine transfers join the program. Though the group wasn't highly regarded nationally, it ranked 60th according to 247 Sports. The new Boilermakers were impactful in helping the team reach the Big Ten Championship game for the first time in program history, recording an 8-6 season. Newcomers played in at least 13 games with three, recording five or more starts. That included leading receiver Charlie Jones, a six-year player and full-time starter who transferred from Iowa. Before being selected by the Cincinnati Bengals as the number 131st pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, Jones became one of three Boilermakers to record 100 catches in a single season, finishing with 110. He also set a 20-year school record for most receiving yards in a single season, 1,361, while leading the team in touchdown receptions, 12 in 13 games. Central Michigan transfer Kobe Lewis and Tyrone Tracy, another former Hawkeye, were the Boilermakers' third and fourth leading rushers with Tracy also averaging 8.1 yards per carry and totaling 28 catches for 198 yards. A year later, at Louisville, Brom has a larger transfer class that's notably talented from top to bottom and deemed one of the best in the country. The Cardinals hope those expectations will manifest on the field after working throughout the offseason to bring the team together in Brom's first season at the helm of the program. You have days that if you are invested and you're around your guys and you get them around your team, you can get that done," Brom said about getting the newer players adjusted. You've got to spend the time to do that and not take the off-season for granted that it's just a time to be off. No, you've got to put the work in to make sure that that thing is gelled together from Game 1. Next, from the Courier Journal, a couple in-brief articles. Broncos wide receiver to take breaks from football due to heart condition. Denver Bronco's wide receiver K.J. Hamler is taking a quick break from football. Hamler announced on social media that he was diagnosed with the heart condition pericarditis. Pericarditis is swelling and irritation of the pericardium, a thin sac-like tissue surrounding the heart, per the Mayo Clinic. The receiver said he was experiencing chest pains before camp, which prompted him to get checked out. NFL Network reported Monday that the Broncos are planning to waive Hamler with a non-football illness designation, although the team has a desire to bring him back. Hamler is expected to miss multiple weeks. I will be back on the field better and stronger than ever as soon as possible this season. I feel great physically, and this is very frustrating for me to deal with. Hamler wrote on Instagram, "It's a tough, it's tough to deal with and to deal with this when I was ready for a breakout year." but adversity is nothing new to me. Next, Colt quarterback Richardson misses practice following nose surgery. Indianapolis Colt's rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson missed Monday's practice and could sit out again Tuesday after undergoing nose surgery. Before practice, team officials announced the former Florida star had a procedure to correct his nasal septum. Richardson was the fourth overall pick in April's NFL draft. Indy was expected to hold its first practice in full pads Monday, but Richardson, who started only one full season with his home state Gators, was not available. It's unclear whether Richardson could miss even more time than this week's first two workouts. Taylor has not practiced since reporting to training camp last Tuesday when he was put on the physically unable to perform list following off-season ankle injury. Next, Broncos receiver Patrick carted off-field with right leg injury. Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick was carted off the field Monday with a left leg injury almost a year after he tore his right ACL at training camp. There was no immediate word on the nature or extent of Patrick's injury, but it appeared to be a serious setback for the 29-year-old who was embarking on a comeback after missing all of last season. Patrick was participating in a 7-on-7 drill with the Broncos in full pads for the first time and his left leg buckled as he pushed off to run a route. He yelled out in pain and threw his helmet as coach Sean Payton, quarterback Russell Wilson, and receiver Cortland Sutton were among the first to rush over to him. He was helped onto a cart and taken inside the team's headquarters as the crowd of some 3,000 fans fell silent. Patrick was the team's number one receiver going into last season when he tore his right ACL in a non-contact drill on August 2nd. He was a projected starter again this summer, even in a crowded wide receiver room That also features Jerry Judy, Sutton, rookie Marvin Mims Jr., Brandon Johnson, Marquez Calloway, and little Jordan Humphrey, among others. This wraps it up for the sports news from the Lexington Herald-Leader and the Louisville Courier-Journal. For this Tuesday, August 1st, your reader for today has been Carrie Lawless. Thank you for listening, and now please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio Eye